0: Welcome to Psych in the City podcast, where sexual fantasies meet sexual realities. Join me as I learn and unlearn with the help of expert guests and friends, all the weird stuff we've been taught about our sexual and psychological selves. Through exposure, education, and conversation, Psych in the City hopes to reduce stigma around mental health and sexuality. I'm a licensed social worker training to become a clinical sex therapist and educator. I love learning about sex, human behavior and psychology, and believe that having access to education and quality information is a human right. Not to mention, it enables us to make informed choices about the lives we live. This is Psych in the City. Asexuality is a growing subject of research in psychology, sexology, and other academic fields. While estimates for the asexual proportion of the population may vary and are limited, the most widely cited figure is that asexual people make up roughly 1% of the population. The current world population is 7.8 billion people, and 1% of that is 78% million. Asexuality is sometimes called ace, while the community is sometimes called the ace community. Asexuality is not a new aspect of human sexuality, but it is relatively new to public discourse. In comparison to other sexualities, asexuality has received little attention from certain communities, specifically the scientific community. Its most basic definition is that an asexual person is a person who does not experience sexual attraction. There is a ton of misinformation, stereotyping, and stigma that asexual people and the ace community face. There's also so much to learn and know about the ace experience. To help me sift through a lot of it and learn more about the ace community is author Angela Chen. Angela recently wrote a book, Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. So before I begin asking Angela a bunch of questions and interviewing her, I want to read her book jacket. Many people who hear about asexuality consider it an interesting piece of trivia. It's a little-known sexual orientation. Some people identify as asexual, and they should be accepted. Next. After all, if you're not asexual, what more is there to learn? Plenty, especially because misconceptions mean that some people are asexual without knowing it. In every place that sexuality touches society, asexuality does too. And issues that asexuals struggle with are the same issues that people of every orientation are likely to confront. How much sexual desire is a person supposed to have? What does the amount of desire we experience mean about our politics, personalities, and prospects for relationships? What should it mean? The dividing line between romance and friendship seems clear, but what is the difference when you eliminate sex? How do you work through a mismatch of sexual desire in relationships? The questions may be near universal, but the answers look different from the asexual or ace perspective aces have had to create our own way of looking at the world offering new perspectives on identity and invisible inequalities everyone wonders how society can be can be remade to be more inclusive because when it's more welcoming for aces it will also be more welcoming for anyone who isn't sexual in the right way through reportage cultural criticism and memoir ace shows What we all can gain from the ACE lens.
1: Hello, Angela. Hello, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So
0: you are a journalist and a writer and a member of the ACE community, and you've spoken about ACE sexuality at academic conferences and events, including World Pride, which is from the back of your book. So, so I know you're a professional writer and journalist. What type of topics were you primarily focused on prior to this book or, or, or have your work always embodied some type of sexuality writing and topics?
1: I think in many ways, my, Sexuality writing is so different from the work that I usually do you know people will sometimes ask me oh what made you want to write about asexuality and I'll kind of be like you know the truth is I didn't want to write about asexuality I've been a journalist my entire career and I've been a journalist since before I realized I was ace and that entire time you know I covered economics for a while and then I became a science journalist and I wrote a lot about biotech and I wrote a lot about technology policy you know like deep fakes and what's going to happen with ai and i was never really a culture reporter or a sexuality reporter or a gender studies reporter i loved reading that but it just wasn't what i professionally was interested in and so even now you know after writing the book i am still a science journalist still a technology journalist and but it felt so important to me to write the book, even though part of me didn't want to because it felt necessary because it was, it wasn't just, you know, my experience that I want people to know about. I'm actually a very private person. It was all of these ideas about the ACE experience and what that meant and what the ACE experience could bring to anyone, regardless of whether you're ACE or not. And I thought it was a shame that people didn't have access to this information. And, you know, I happened to be a journalist, so that's when it kind of all came together and I was like, okay. I think maybe I should be the person to write this book.
0: What made you not want to write it? Were you concerned about your personal life kind of blending with your professional persona?
1: There were a lot of things. One is, like I said, I'm pretty private. You know, even on social media, I am kind of stiff and I don't really make jokes (laughs) and I don't really talk about my relationships. And I don't think it's because of shame. You know, people are just different in how much they want to share, right? Mm. Another part of it is because... It didn't seem to align with my professional goals of being a science reporter. You know, it's like if you're a science reporter, why are you going to publish a book about something else? Like, is that going to make me the ace, you know, writer? And will that kind of locks me in? I think there was a lot of worry about the fact that there really aren't that many books about asexuality. And this is actually the first reported book about asexuality because there's a lot of stories of you know other experiences and what happens is that it's a double-edged sword because of course if you're one of the first books in any subject you're more likely to get the book deal at the same time there's so much pressure right and it's Mm -hmm. the entire community and so I felt so much pressure and so much worry like I try to make it as inclusive as possible but you're never going to be able to make everything as inclusive as possible one book shit is not by definition going to be able to do that you need so much and so i was really worried about all of that pressure and doing things right and debunking the misconceptions and yeah i just felt like a really really big task to take on and i was worried whether i was going to be able to do it justice
0: Mm. So has that been your experience now? I mean, I'm sure you're doing a lot of promotion regarding the book, but do you, because it's such a, because asexuality is such a less, I mean, like I said, during our previous conversation, this was the only updated book that I could personally find on it. So do you feel that you've kind of become now, like, is that pressure still very present now that the book is out? Like, do you feel that that is happening now?
1: I feel like, I feel like the book has been praised for my attempts to be inclusive, which is mm, great. Yes. I think I still feel, you know, guilty about it, but I think realistically, you know, the answer is for me to try to support other ACE, ace authors so they can write the other books that we need. Mm. I think, yeah, I think there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to be the face of asexuality. Again, not because I'm ashamed, but because I never want to be the face of anything. I just want to be myself. But at the same time, writing the book, I've met so many other people in the ACE community. Through the writing, and then after it got published, of course, I met even more, and I think that's been really rewarding. And I think you know now I'm more committed than ever to helping other ace and aromantic writers, and so that has felt really meaningful to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. How how has your um, colleagues or you know because you're a science writer,
1: a science journalist, has has that been weird for you? You know, the funny thing is. When I was putting out that email, that's like, oh, my book is available for pre order, right? You know, like your pre marketing email. Of course, you know, put all the people I knew on it. And I, you know, I'm kind of a sarcastic person. And I was like, you know, if you support this book, of course I appreciate it. I just want you to know, you never have to talk to me about it. I'm not (laughs) going to be grilling you about whether you read the (laughs) book or not. I'm not going to be, you know, seeing if you rate it on Amazon. And kind of the subtext there which I still hold to is a little bit of like I don't know if I want to talk to people I actually know about the book (laughs) you know um and I think it's just funny because I talk I'm happy to talk to most people about um you know asexuality a lot of ace people email me a lot of people who are questioning whether the ace email me and I'm always happy but then when it comes to people that I've known since I was in high school or relatives I'm just like Maybe we don't need to go there.
0: Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So what
0: is asexuality?
1: Well, the precise definition, <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> the official definition um is or rather of someone who's asexual is someone who doesn't experience sexual attraction. And it sounds simple enough, but I feel like if you leave it there, no one will ever understand what asexuality actually is right because people really think that not experiencing sexual attraction means you are repulsed by sex or you don't want to have sex or that you're celibate and so that's why like the first couple of chapters of the book were just about you know hey, before we talk about the interesting stuff about, you know, what this means and what this means for desire, like, we got to get some things clear. So I guess I can do a little 101 for you now, if that's helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just because, so, so essentially, asexuality is, is a spectrum of Mm -hmm. people who don't feel sexually attracted
1: to others. Yeah, exactly. And there's many parts of the spectrum. Yeah. So I think the first thing it to separate is sexual attraction is not the same as sex drive. Mm,
0: so, yes, talk about that.
1: Yeah. So sex drive is basically like a feeling of horniness. Like it's a feeling in your body where you, I guess, get sexually frustrated and want to um want to orgasm. You know, you want sexual release. And sexual attraction is that feeling toward another person of whatever gender. And so I think it's hard for people to think of them as separate, but it makes a lot of sense because you can be, for example, you can be gay and you can have a low sex drive. So that means you like rarely feel that need for sexual release or you can be straight and you can have a high sex drive. You know, already we don't necessarily think of them the same thing but there's a lot of slippage here. So the reason I'm saying why this matters is because some people who are asexual, they don't have a sex drive and they don't experience sexual attraction. But there are some people who are asexual, they don't experience sexual attraction, but they do experience sex drive. Like they do get horny essentially, but it's just not caused by other people. And there's no desire necessarily to have other people be involved. Um, Mm. Like one woman was like, it's like if you have a scratch on your arm, I can just scratch it myself like why would i ask my friend to come over and scratch my arm for me and i thought that was a really good metaphor that was really helpful
0: makes complete sense yeah
1: yeah so and then so that's you know one of the things that's important to understand and but the really complicated thing is that a lot of people who are asexual i'm convinced of this don't really know it because we don't talk about sexuality often in terms of sensations Um, to talk a little bit about my own experience. I came across the term when I was 14 or so, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. I just never thought about it again, because I thought sex was interesting. And even into my relationships when I was older than 14, I um, like, I didn't have any sexual problems or any medical problems. I enjoyed having sex with my partners. Uh, And it took me a really long time to realize that that desire was, purely like emotional desire um it was you know wanting to be close to them and maybe it was wanting to be possessive but it wasn't sexual attraction sexual attraction is kind of that like almost like instantaneous like that feeling of being drawn to someone like in a sexual way which i just never experienced and so many people who later realized they're ace they they feel like it was hidden from them because of that really common idea that asexuality, like not having sexual attraction means that the idea of sex is horrible to you and you would never do it.
0: Got it. So, so, you know, on the spectrum of ACE, some people, you know, are, could be repulsed by sex. Whereas other people from your book could be sex indifferent, sex favorable, where some like you, people enjoy sex, but it's, because of sex with a partner, not necessarily because they're, they feel a sexual attraction.
1: Yeah. So there's many spectrums in asexuality. So I'll try to go over like the main ones. So like you said, there's sex repulsion and that is what I and many people I think initially think asexuality is Mm. quote unquote supposed to be like. It's like the idea of sex or sexual activity is aversive to you and you're not interested in it and you probably are celibate. And then there's people who are sex indifferent, which is basically what it sounds like. And then there are people who are sex favorable for whatever reason. And for some people it is because, you know, they have that emotional attraction. Um and for some people, I think it's just because it feels good to them even if there's no sexual attraction. Like masturbating and orgasm can feel good even if you're not like sexually attracted to yourself. You know what I mean? Like it can just be good on like a physical level. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. And of course, it's fluid. Like some people are sex most of the time, but sometimes sex-indifferent. So uh, everything is always, you know, moving. And asexuality itself is a spectrum. So the word for people who are not asexual is allosexual, but like many things, it's not a binary. So, you know, you have ace people, asexual people, you have allosexual people. You have people who are demisexual. And demisexual is a term that I feel like people make fun of a lot, which is unfair, but essentially (laughs) it means that you don't experience or you can't experience sexual attraction unless there's an emotional bond. Mm. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, that's not real. Like, of course, sex is better with someone you like, but that's not what it means. You know, it means like you literally cannot experience it like you can sleep with whoever you want that's your behavior like you could sleep with someone the first day it's not about preference it's like you just don't develop those feelings until you have that emotional bond and I think people really don't understand that they think it's about being precious or something um got it and and so do you feel that this idea that
0: asexuality is inherently people that are sex repulsed is that why maybe it's hard for people to see that they're asexual or 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 identify somewhere on the ace spectrum because they, it's like typically thought of as, oh, if you're asexual, you're disgusted by sex.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has to do with language. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are confused because it's a little like why would you call someone who maybe is sex favorable or maybe, you know, is sexually active, why would you call them asexual? Like, why does that, Mm. you know, that when you think of the word asexual, both from like the construction of the word and from what you think about in biology class and you learn about those contexts, that doesn't really track and doesn't really make sense. And I think with asexuality, it's so easy to think you understand what it means, whether you know the right definitions or not, but still not really get it because there's so many nuances, like what is sex? What is attraction? What is sex drive? And that's why it just takes that whole like primer that we're doing right now.
0: When you first started your research and, you know, with your experiences, how much would you say, if you can give a percentage, like how much more did you learn about ace asexuality and the ace experiences from your research for your book? Like, was it like 10% and then you're like, wow, I learned, I learned so much, there's no percentage.
1: I think it's hard to say because I, what changed for me wasn't the research. Um, what changed me and what taught me were the narratives. So Mm. like the basics of asexuality, I knew long before I started writing the book. Um, Definitely, of course, you know, like I learned new facts and I learned, you know, case studies and such, but they didn't change my view of asexuality or my opinions and how it fit into society. Mm. I think what The learning was emotional learning because before writing the book, I really didn't know that many other ace people myself. Mm. And I frankly had internalized a lot of ace phobia and a lot of, you know, stereotypes about what it means not just to be ace, but just to be a woman who is not as lusty and liberated as Mm -hmm. we think women are often supposed to be. And so the process of writing the book, because I talked to so many other aces and profiled them, like that was the powerful part for me was... You know, it's it's almost like the experience I want other people to have when they're reading the book. Like, I had that same experience when I was writing it because I was like, oh, like, we ha- this is something that we share, oh, I had the same thought too, oh, I was confused about that too. Um, and that kind of validation and that kind of clarity, I think that's where I was doing the learning. I think, like, there are parts where I had a lot of chance to clarify my thinking. Like, I always knew I was going to have a chapter on disability and this question of, you know, what is asexuality, this orientation, and what is like, a medical disorder, because there is a medical disorder that basically sounds like asexuality. And mm. so writing the book gave me the opportunity to research that and decide what I thought. But I don't think there was a point where I was like, oh, I didn't understand asexuality.
0: Right, right. How, how did you find people for your book to interview and for people sharing their stories?
1: Uh, some of it was just my network, um, like mm. friends of friends, or I would go to various groups. Like I lived in New York City at the point and there's a meetup group there. And so I contacted um, the organizer and was like, oh, is anyone interested? A couple points when I was looking for very specific people, like I think I was looking specifically for someone who was um, not asexual actually, but they were aromantic. I mean, they don't experience romantic attraction. I actually used the internet. I posted on Reddit. Mm. um yeah and i think a lot of it was actually trying to find people off the internet Um, i talked to a lot of researchers scholars some of whom identified as ace some who didn't and i would ask them for suggestions so it was basically like everyone i talked to i asked them to suggest another person for me to interview Mm.
0: let's talk about that for for a minute so the sexual attraction versus romantic attraction how are they different and how does that apply to ace?
1: Yeah. You know, there's a whole chapter in the book that's kind of about how hard it is to separate sexual attraction, romantic attraction. Yeah. Because it's another thing that on the face, it sounds pretty easy to explain. Like romantic attraction is having a crush on someone. And usually when we have a crush on someone, we think that it's sexual, but Um, Maybe it doesn't have to be. So when I explain it like that, most people are like, okay, like I remember when I was seven years old and I had a crush on, you know, my my, like friend in second grade, but it wasn't sexual because I didn't understand sex. Like most people understand that. Like you're like, oh yeah, it's like that infatuated feeling and maybe you don't have to, you know, there doesn't have to be a sexual component to it. So that's where romantic attraction comes in. And of course, romantic attraction, it's a spectrum too. You know, some people experience a lot of it. Some people are aromantic and so on but then it gets tricky because you think about it a little more and you're like okay so if you know romantic attraction exists without sexual attraction then like how is that different from like platonic attraction you know right. people are like how is that different from loving your best friend because usually that is the way that we separate platonic and romantic right. and you know i think it's a really fascinating philosophical question because i think it speaks to, like, one part of it is, like, the difference you feel inside, right? It's, like, the feeling. But another part of it is that, frankly, you know, romantic is also a social label, and platonic is also a social label, you know? Like, even if, like, I think probably most people know a couple where they're, like, they're, like, married, so they're romantic partners, but they hate each other, but they're still, like, socially presenting as romantic partners. Mm. And I think that it's so interesting to think about this because, social structures shape how we feel, you know, like social structures influence how we feel inside and they tell us how to behave. And at the end of the day, even though I think that separating sexual attraction, romantic attraction is useful, and I think romantic orientations are useful, I totally acknowledge that there's a lot of overlap between what we think of as platonic or we think of as romantic. And we think of them as these mutually exclusive categories, but I don't think they are because you can be infatuated with your best friend, even if it doesn't feel sexual, even if it doesn't feel romantic, you know, anything that you can feel in a romantic relationship, you can probably feel another relationship. So it's all more mixed up than we think it is.
0: And I think we use culturally a lot of these terms interchangeably and they're not necessarily the same thing. And I think in your book, you know, the language is very nuanced, which I think you know. With the criticism that you were talking about before, about how people like make fun of sometimes, or say that demisexual doesn't exist, and 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 that you know you don't have to call yourself a demisexual. Everyone experiences that, blah blah blah. I, I think you know. So why is this language important? Why is it important to to separate um, and to acknowledge each of these different categories or or, or these experiences?
1: I think it can help us understand things better. You're totally right. We usually don't separate sexual and romantic attraction. We assume that romantic attraction has to do sexual attraction. Yeah, the totally it's interchangeable. And I think that when you don't separate them out, then things become confusing. Like I have friends yeah. who are allosexual and, and they're straight and they were like, know I've had these relationships in the past that they felt so intense like they were romantic but I didn't want to speak with them and I was like well maybe they were just romantic and they weren't there was no sexual attraction involved you know Mm. um you know I think that we get so uh, let me start over I think that there's so many reasons why we're attracted to different people and I don't think that we can ever truly you know fully tease out all the reasons but I think that when we group so many of the reasons together and use them interchangeably then that prevents us from knowing ourselves as well as we could it prevents us from knowing like what we like in other people so Mm. one easy example is yet another form of attraction that aces talk about is aesthetic attraction you know the idea that you can be aesthetically attracted to someone like you can have a type even if you're not sexually attracted to someone and for some reason I think people just don't talk about that very much you know women straight women will be like oh yeah like I really have a type when it comes to women and that is aesthetic attraction but like people somehow find it hard to like wrap your mind around the idea that you might find someone aesthetically attractive without wanting to sleep with them at all but once you tease that out then I think that's just another way of looking at the world more clearly and being like why am I attracted to this person what are the different parts of that. What does that tell me about myself? Mm. Um, how can it help me explain and understand relationships?
0: Right. So in your book, your, your book is kind of a mix of cultural criticism, reportage, and your own experiences, like memoir-ish. So what, what about your experiences led you to identify as ACE?
1: I think... I think that for all all of a sudden you
0: were like, oh, this explains everything. Did you have this moment?
1: Um, I don't think I had a moment that was so clear that it's like a light bulb memory still in my memory. But I think I had similar moments where once I started diving into the definition of asexual and really understood it, it did help me explain the world. And I think that I think that it's the same for many people. You know, since publishing the book, a lot of people who already identify as ace have emailed me. But then a lot of people have emailed me and they were like, oh, I just always thought, like, I never thought it was ace, but I thought I was a little broken. I thought I was a little weird. I thought Mm. there was something wrong with me. And then they read the book and they were like, oh, what that person said that you interviewed, that was my experience. And I think that the experience that people... Describe, which is an experience I also had, is that is other people putting words to a feeling you've had but not been able to explain. Like, why do I feel uncomfortable with X, Y, and Z? And then someone comes along, and is like, Well, a lot of aces feel uncomfortable because, like, we see the world in a different way, and that's why. And it's like, Oh, I understand now. I think it just clarified a lot of the feelings that people already have, and. Was validating for people and realizing that they're not alone, and there's reasons for that. And I had had that same experience, just you know, before I wrote the book. Right, right. So
0: let's talk a little bit about you. Speak about this in your book about the history of the ace movement. You know, pre pre internet. Um, do you think that asexuality has existed since the dawn of time?
1: probably like it's definitely existed before the internet it's existed for a very long time um i do not know enough about you know you see i'm a science reporter right i'm like very i can't make these um assertions that i do not know what's for sure whether they are true but it's definitely existed for a long time like there's historical figures that are probably ace you know just in their time they were they were probably seen as gay or bachelors or something like that. Mm. Um, but ACEs have been around for a long time. It's just that without the ACE lens, you just haven't, you know, like when you don't know what you're looking for, it can be much harder to see it. But I think the thing that always stuck out to me is that ACEs were definitely around when Alfred Kinsey was, you know, doing the research for his Kinsey scale. You know, people who didn't experience sexual attraction either, you know, to, their same gender to the opposite gender or whatever gender. And, you know, he created the Kinsey scale. And he just kind of left off this data and marked them as group X. Mm. And that's why we have this line, you know, this Kinsey sexual orientation line where asexuality doesn't fit because it doesn't have either of those options. And I think that is part of the reason why sexuality itself was hidden for so long. It's definitely like the experience has been around But without the language, without the word, without knowing what to search for, people were often very isolated.
0: I want to clarify what Angela is referring to. She's referring to the Kinsey Scale and the Kinsey Reports. So in January 1948, American sexologist Alfred Kinsey did studies regarding human sexuality. And it resulted in two books sexual behavior in the human male and sexual behavior in the human female, which would become to known as the Kinsey reports. And this was significant because it was the first time that sexuality was looked at on a spectrum and not as you're either one thing or another thing. It did, It was the first time that we separated from the binary or one of the first times that we separated from the binary in our view of sexuality. And the scale ranked sexual desire on a range between zero and seven with zero rep- representing exclusive heterosexuality, seven exclusive homosexuality and one through six a range of bisexuality. And so he used this scale to collect and publish a series of findings that became a sensation. And there was a part of the scale that got little to no attention, and that was those who expressed no interest in sexual behavior, which now we know as asexuals, and they just weren't given any attention to. And they instead were allotted their own category, which Dr. Kinsey identified with an X. And according to Dr. Kinsey, approximately 1.5% of his adult male subjects fell into the X category, meaning that they expressed no sociosexual context or reactions. And in his 1953 follow-up, Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, he estimated that between 1 and 4% of male interviewees and from 1 to 19% of female interviewees were asexual. And that was pretty much it in terms of the study of human asexuality for the next 50 years. And it was more, the scale was just focused on the other findings, as opposed to the findings related to the X and asexuality category. And that, again, like I said, was pretty much it until Anthony Bogart, a psychology professor at Brock University, who kind of published a paper and reignited um, the interest and study of asexuality. So so did you find with the publishing of your, of your book, and was there a... a A quote-unquote coming out process for you like did many of your close friends and family know that you identified this way or did or was that also an experience that came out with the book
1: I think that it's hard to answer because I think, so definitely my close friends did. My family doesn't just because we're not really the type of family who talks about this kind of thing. And I think that actually plays into one of the harder things about coming out as ace is that with asexuality, you can't be like, love is love, you know? It's not like, because it's not tied to relationships. It really is about your experience of sexual attraction. Mm. And I think most people just don't want to talk about that with their parents, you know? It's not like, oh, like I would like to spend my life with someone of the same gender. it's, it is a bodily thing. And so I think that's one of the things that can make it harder to come out as ace, um, especially in maybe kind of conserve, more conservative environments because it does feel like you're talking about sexual subjects instead of romantic subjects. Mm. Um, because once again, they're different, right? But the whole like love is love thing is about romance. It's not about, or rather it's not, it's specifically about romance to kind of almost hide the sexual part of it. Did your parents read the book? Um, I hope not. My sister told me, (laughs) my sister told me that my dad bought a copy and she saw him reading it, but I haven't talked to him about it. And I feel unhappy if I think about him doing that.
0: (laughs) So were you,
1: you know, said to your parents, hey, I
0: wrote, I wrote a book.
1: Yeah. And I just refuse to talk to them about it. You know, like that's (laughs) the kind of family we are. And for all they know, like, And the thing is, I, even if I weren't ace, like I am, I, I identify as biromantic, but I'm basically very straight presenting because Mm. I am very straight presenting because I have a cis male partner. And so I think that's one of the, and so like, I think in many ways, like that's why asexuality is called the invisible orientation, right? In some ways, like there's no reason for them to, to know because I could hide it. From them forever if I wanted. Right. They would never have to know, essentially. Yeah, unless they Google my name, I guess.
0: Right, right. And I and and I just want to acknowledge, you know, I, I feel whenever we talk about identities, sexual identities that, you know, exist on the margin, there inherently becomes or almost inherently becomes this experience of talking and asking invasive questions that does not necessarily occur, you know, if you are you know, if it's a heterosexual couple, I don't think people go around asking them, oh, how, how do you have sex? It's, it's, it's pretty assumed. Whereas, you know, we're talking about the ACE experience and how I, 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 I almost want to be like, okay, so then like, did you talk to your, you know, how do you, uh, you know what I mean? There, there, there becomes this experience of people asking invasive questions because, you know, they do want to learn more about it, but also it's not as assumed the way things work in, as in a heteronormative couple.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for asexuality, because it's one of those things where um, like people who are ace generally do not really center sexuality in our lives. But mm. then ironically, like I don't, but ironically, I spend a lot of time talking about how I don't center, you know, is I'm talking about something <laughs> that I like in some ways, like don't really care about that much because it is surprising <laughs> that I don't really care about it um right yeah, it's, right it's a strange it's a strange trap like it's funny that someone who like really doesn't spend that much time thinking in my daily life about like sexual attraction well, I just spend time thinking about it, you know, but it doesn't impact my life in the way it just does for a lot of my aloe friends, um but then I'm the one who wrote a book about it
0: right and i and i I want to focus and my work to focus on you know destigmatizing and depathologizing. Ev- everything about sex and, and basically un unlearn all of this, you know, and you talk about this, like, like compulsory sexuality. I just want to unlearn all the problematic things that were taught, but then it's also like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to ask you these, these invasive questions, but it's like, also how does it happen? You know what I mean? It's like this weird kind of thing. Um, but so, so let's talk about, you know, the compulsory sexuality. You have a chapter on it in your book what do you mean when you're talking about compulsory sexuality
1: yeah so it's first of all it's not a phrase that i coined it's just part of the ace discourse but (laughs) it's based off adrian rich's idea of compulsory heterosexuality which i think many people know as heteronormativity you know the idea that you know we i think people are often taught to believe that being heterosexual is quote normal or natural but actually it is conditioned by so many parts of culture Mm -hmm. and i think compulsory sexuality is kind of the same idea that you know we're brought to believe that like everyone has a sexuality and everyone um Mm -hmm. you know like every normal person experiences sexual attraction it doesn't matter if they're actually having sex like they that they experience it is the important part but that too is also so entwined with society we are conditioned to believe that and i think i want to always acknowledge here that it's very that whenever you talk about compulsory sexuality you have to at least mention you know that it it exists but it also exists alongside you know homophobia and transphobia and anti-sex puritanism and slut shaming so like the world's a big place like all these things can exist at the same time so when i talk about compulsory sexuality i'm never trying to erase the fact that slut shaming and purity culture exist and are harmful but at the same, but it also exists. you know compulsive sexuality is present in so many parts of our culture. Mm. So is it is
0: your asexuality something that you feel the need to disclose to someone when you are maybe starting to, you know, if you go on a date or a few dates or whatever, you know, is it is is that something that has to be brought up?
1: I think. I think there's the personal answer and then there's like the normative answer and I uh-huh. think in general for people, for ace people, I don't think at all there's that they quote unquote like have to disclose it. Right. Um, you know, recently I think there was actually some um, discussion about this where someone said something like, you know, if you're ace and you need, like tell people right away, but I think oftentimes being ace, especially because there's so many misconceptions and because again of compulsory sexuality, sometimes. Disclosing your ace, it actually like can put you at risk for sexual violence. So people Mm. being like, "Oh, that's not real. Like, you just need to like understand good sex." And I'm going to like show you, you know, like you, yeah, yeah, you know, corrective rape essentially, which of course is traumatic and horrible. So I don't think anyone has that um, obligation. For me personally, this hasn't come up because I've been dating my partner for four years now. Mm. Um, But I think that if I were single and if I were dating again, I Would disclose eventually. I mean, first of all, they would probably Google me and then that would (laughs) force the discussion. But putting that aside, I would disclose eventually. But for me personally, it's not something that I think I would disclose on a first date. And I think that's because, well, there's a few different reasons. One is because I'm not sex repulsed and I'm also not celibate. So Mm -hmm. if I were, I think it would force that conversation much more quickly. And another thing is because I don't think that. Aceness is the most important um thing about me or the most right. important thing to like ascertain when you're talking about romantic compatibility. Mm. And so I don't think anyone really wants to, you know, on their first date be like explaining what asexuality is totally. and like, you know, essentially like being on a podcast, but you're on, on a date. You know, I'd rather be talking like, do we like each other? You know, <laughs> do we have a similar sense of humor? But I think eventually it would have to be, you would have to be discussed. You would have to have that conversation, but I don't think it's something that I would, that I feel like I owe to someone right off the bat.
0: Right. Right. I want to talk about this concept that you speak to, um, kind of throughout your book, but, but, you know, to explain asexuality and what it means to not experience sexual attraction Aces must define and describe the exact phenomena we don't experience. It requires us to use the language of lack. And so is that one of the hardest parts about this whole thing is that you're basically forced, not forced, but asked to describe these experiences or, you know, explain to me why you're ace, but it's hard to describe something that personally just doesn't happen for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in terms because, of feeling sexually
0: attracted to to people, um, you know, do people just not get that?
1: I think people don't get that, and I think it's also funny because a lot of aces are like, oh. So we'll ask people who are not ace, like, okay, what is sexual attraction, and they'll be like, when I want to have sex with someone, and then you'll be like, okay, but like for only physical reasons, and you just go down this rabbit hole where the end even the non-asexual person can't really explain what it is. So I think it's just, it's, I think it's hard for aces because it's like, okay, I don't experience this thing that you, that I think you experience. But then when you think about it, like the aloe person is like, um, now I don't know what it is. So it's like this complete, you know, mess of language. But I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying, or what we talked about earlier, is that, you know, the ironic thing about being ace is you spend a lot of time talking about something that's not really relevant to your life right Um, but you know the part about the language of lack that's something I spend a lot of time thinking about because of course asexuality is defined or kind of at least conceptualized now as the absence of sexuality you know we're defined by we don't have this thing that supposedly everyone else has and so I spend a lot of time thinking about you know what does it mean to affirm an ace perspective? Like, what does it mean to be ace if it's not lacking something? Like, what is it that we have? What is it, what are the gifts that we have and the perspectives that we have? Because I, eventually, you know, I don't want the ace community to be defined by we don't have something. Like, I don't even like the word asexual. I like saying ace, but asexual is unpleasant for me. Not for all aces, but Mm. sexual for me is like you there's something wrong with you. I think I still have that association in my mind and I don't think there is and I would like even in my own mind to move away from that idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do we begin to unlearn and really help create inclusive environments for every person to learn and discover their sexual identities like like where and how does it start in your opinion?
1: I think often it starts with curiosity i think there is a lot of moralizing when it comes to sexuality and i don't necessarily mean the old-fashioned moralizing you know where it's like don't have sex like especially if you're a woman but i think something that's very difficult for um for aces is that they'll be like i'm ace and then their friends especially if like a woman for example and their friends would be like you're just repressed, you know, or, right, you know, right. we talked about this a little bit before, like therapists will be like, okay, maybe you have like unburied trauma or something, or maybe it's <laughs> cause you're like not in touch with your body. Mm. And so I think oftentimes when people talk about their experiences as an ace person, they, the response is not curiosity. And again, like the, um, when I say curiosity, I mean like letting people be the, judge of their own experiences. I don't mean curiosity as in like these invasive questions we were just talking about, right? No one wants to be asked those invasive questions off the bat, but I think it really starts off like when someone tells you like, I'm this, I'm that. And I think this is true for like all kinds of sexual identities or gender identities. I think the first response could be like, oh, tell me more about it. Like, what does that mean to you? What is your experience like? Instead of being like, that's not real. You're just confused. May, you know, you've right. been brainwashed by the internet, which is all things that ace people often hear. So I think that's one part of it. I also think that, you know, even if you don't know someone who's ace, I really think that reading about all sorts of different identities, sexual identities, gender identities can be really helpful. Cause I think a lot of people aren't interested unless they think they're ace or they think they're trans or something. Right. But a lot of people, I think on a deep level, maybe don't understand what it even means to be trans or non-binary. A lot of people definitely don't understand at deep level what it means to be ace. So I think that's where we start on the personal level, um, is not thinking that we know better than other people, that we know if someone's repressed, that we know if you know, someone, quote, needs like, psychiatric help. But I really think there's limits to individual action and I think, you know, there's, like, main storylines that have ace characters. Sexual Sex ed needs to be different. I really think sex therapy needs to have the ace perspective. So, so I think there's a lot that needs to be done, like, on this structural, and institutional level as well.
0: I would say that asexuality, or ace, is, is very stigmatized and looked at, I think you spoke about this in your book, but, like, as an internet orientation, um, or you know, kind of like this invented thing. And I imagine many people may seek out sex therapists to, you know, quote unquote, help them with this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they're getting services from someone who is not schooled in this, I can imagine it actually reinforces this, you know, this internalized shame. Um, Would you, would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know so many therapists, I know so many aces have been sent to therapists and they're told like, okay, let's just put you on estrogen. Let's just put you on testosterone. Oh Um, my gosh. Yeah. You know, let's like, like, like do mindfulness, you know, like let's do what you can to put, to make your level of sexual attraction, like at the level of your partners. Cause usually this is in the partnered context, right? It's usually like there's some kind of interpersonal issue. And I'm not saying that inherently there's anything wrong with trying to experience more sexual desire, I think what's wrong is the stigma and the fact that it's the lower desire partner who's being told that you know it's your job to be normal instead of it being like okay the two of you have an incompatibility how can you work together on both sides like that's my issue because I totally understand that you know this kind of mismatch it can be stressful in all kinds of relationships. But it's always like, this is your problem, like the person who's ace or the person who more likely doesn't know they're ace, um, has never heard the the word ace before and just is being told over and over that they're broken, they're frigid, they're not passionate, that their life is going to suck unless they can fix this thing about themselves.
0: Right. Throughout your book, you talk about how there is no one ace Worlds, you know, it's mm-hmm. more like the world of aces, um, and that there's, ge- you know, there's gender nonconforming aces, there's disabled aces, there's there's aces of color, kinky aces. Um, um,
1: so so how does?
0: <sighs> what am I trying to ask, Angela?
1: How how? I feel like I know what you're trying to ask. Okay. <laughs> how does like power and history? How does that shape the experience of being ace and claiming? And ace? and yeah,
0: and our view of aces but you know what i'm saying so like how does that come into play
1: yeah totally and of course you know the history of sexuality is so broad but i think that among like the people that you and i probably know just like you know liberal progressive leftist groups like Mm. there's been that big push against slut-shaming right again which is great but i think (laughs) that there's there can at times be this overcorrection which is you know it is true that many women for example um are slut shamed and feel alienated from their sexuality and are repressed um, because our sexuality is often controlled by men in the patriarchy but then there becomes this idea that like if a woman does not experience sexual attraction or if she has low sexual desire it's always because she's repressed and i think that just erases the reality of um you know the reality of sexual variation people are just different and it doesn't always have to be because of the patriarchy. And I think you see that again and again with different kinds of identities. So for a lot of women who are ace and who are feminist, and I think this includes myself, of course, mm. there's often this thought where it's just like, am I actually ace or am I just repressed? Am I so repressed? I don't know I'm repressed. Mm. And you can just take out the word repressed and you can fill it with something else, you know. So for aces of color, I mean the thing that I always remember is interviewing this Ace woman who's black and you know she really hates these stereotypes we have in american culture of black women being you know hypersexual and so for her it was like okay am i really ace or am i you know do i actually just think that i'm ace because i hate these stereotypes and so Mm. i'm just like reacting to these stereotypes and so for her like race was also a very salient um factor and of course i should mention that um asexuality is often perceived as a very white community. And I think a lot of that has to do with these associations we have of, you know, whiteness being like pure, whereas we see like black people and Latinx people, you know, as hypersexual, and we have all these sexual stereotypes. Like another example, you know, disability, the, that's one of the groups that the world thinks of as asexual um, against their will, like mm. people who are disabled are often desexualized, even though many of them are not asexual. Any of them are, are very interested in sexuality and romance, but people just kind of, again, wrongly assume that disabled people, especially people who are physically disabled, um, do not have a sexuality. And so there's a lot of lobbying among people who are disabled to counter that. So then where does that leave disabled aces who are like, okay, am I like actually ace or am I just, you know, taught by, ableism that I don't you know experience sexual attraction like where do I fit where do what does that you know mean for me and so I think it's just really hard to claim asexuality because it can look so much like control over bodies Mm. Um, so then you're always like is this my choice or am I just a tool of whatever terrible system applies to me right now
0: right what have you learned about your sexual self you know through the research of your book and through you know your own journey and
1: identifying as ace I
0: think
1: I think I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning but I think that when I started writing the book I came from a place where intellectually I was like there's nothing wrong with being asexual, you know, that's why I'm writing this book, but then emotionally, I think I was a little bit, like I said, I like internalized a lot of asphobia. Yeah. and I think um, there was a part of me that still felt like a little bit embarrassed about it, or a little bit, um, almost like apologetic, and again, I think it, it, I think it's a little hard to separate how much of that is about being ace specifically versus the fact that I'm just easily embarrassed and apologetic for almost anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta yeah. make that clear. But I think what was important to me is just, like I said, talking to all these people and they were like, oh, I've never cared what Aloe people think of me. Like, why would I? And so it was really one of those, like, another world's possible moments where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's not like, it's... I shouldn't take it for granted that most aces share this experience of feeling embarrassed like don't get me wrong like a lot of people do but there's no reason why we couldn't see things from another perspective you know there's no reason why we couldn't see the way we see the world how we center different things in our relationships as a power and there's no reason to not see you know our ability to i guess be immune from sexual attraction as a gift you know there's i think what it showed me was, it showed me the ways I could flip my perspective about my own identity.
0: Mm. What can we gain from utilizing and learning about, you know, an ACE lens essentially, and looking at things, not only sex education, but like society in general, like through this like ACE, ACE lens.
1: I think so, there's so much, like so much of discussion around consent, Which of course, Mm. you know, big interest to many people. So much of that has the assumptions of compulsory sexuality at the bottom of it. You know, there's some like so much of how we think about consent and like enthusiastic consent and what consent means is based on the idea that everyone experiences sexual attraction. And I think the ace lens can be so powerful for dismantling that and having a more inclusive way of thinking about consent. Mm. I also think that, you know, I, I keep saying this over and over, but this lens. Um, can be valuable even if you are not ace because right. there's plenty of people out there who just have low desire or totally. in some way are not you know are not hitting the perfect bullseye that we're supposed to all be hitting so for example like I think it's actually genuinely very interesting to think about the different types of attraction and you know to split romantic attraction and uh, sexual attraction like for aces it's natural to us, but I've talked to friends and they're like, oh, I think I realized that I might actually be, um, you know, heterosexual, but biromantic, romantic or the other way around. Like there's no reason that framework can only apply to people who are ace. You know, I think questioning, like, what is actually the difference between romantic and platonic attraction? Cause it's definitely not the sexual component. Like that's so interesting to think about. And that leads you down this path of thinking about, you know, the way that we, so deeply prioritize romantic feeling more Mm -hmm. so than all those other kinds of love and there's implications there from you know a marriage law kind of lens from a you know society building lens i think yeah i think asexuality just destabilizes so much of what we take for granted about what people want the role of sex how much sex is actually needed um The surveillance of sex and the way that everyone seems to like always kind of care what other people are up to. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's asked us to, yeah, to think more.
0: Yeah, and you know, the meaning that we put on sexual Mm -hmm. behavior in terms of, you know, what does it mean if I'm into this or not into this or experiencing this or not experiencing it? And it's like, maybe it doesn't mean anything and that we've just been, you know, cultured to. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've been made to feel that this is supposed to mean something bad about us or, or, or weird about ourselves.
1: Yeah. So many people have just said some version of about to me, like men will be like, people will be like, one example is <laughs> I interviewed a ace man. And he said that when he first realized he was ace, the first thought he had in his mind or one of the first thoughts, he was like, maybe I'm trans. And the reason for that is because we have so, we have such stereotypes of, you know, like men are aggressive and Mm. women are like not sexually aggressive. And he knew that women are supposed to be the ones who are, you know, lower desire. And then after that, he struggled with this feeling of, you know, not being masculine enough, not being a real man. Like, what does it mean? Am I like, it like destabilized his idea of gender so that's examples of that and women are like am I not passionate you know one of the stories that I think about often is when I interviewed this writer named Lauren and she had a writing coach in high school she came out to him as Ace and he was like you can't be a writer if you're ace like how can you be a writer if you don't have sex like how can you be passionate like what are you going to write about And I think there's so many little examples like that. Like, it sounds stupid, but on on some level, I think some of us believe it, you know, on some level we're like, where else can you find passion in life? Totally. Yeah. That's, that can be a
0: pretty gendered experience, you know, with the man who was saying like, oh, I'm not, you know, a man enough. Mm -hmm. Or what does it mean if I don't want to have sex? Whereas Lauren, you know, it's like, I think a lot of times for women, you know, the fear can be like, oh, am I bad in bed or I'm not exciting in bed or, you know, all of these like cultural, you know, fears that have been ingrained in us of like, you know, and, and, um, yeah. And it is, and I think, you know, was there, did that come up for you at all in, um, in terms of like guilt or, or, or like fear of being boring or like kind of those like processes? And if so, how did you work through them? You know, like how did you become comfortable being ace, I guess?
1: I think, To answer your second question first I think that as with um, many identities like my feelings about being ace just change on a daily basis like most of the time I'm like very comfortable with it sometimes I'm like oh I don't like this and sometimes you know it's great Um, I definitely for me I think the biggest issue was the feeling that I would always be seen as like approved or Mm -mm. be seen as boring and for me I think that's also related to gender and race because I think you know there's already these assumptions that women are kind, of stereotypically docile, and Asian women are stereotypically like even more docile, and so it was like adding ace on top of that mm. seemed to like almost relegate me to being a, being um, like on the margins. And I, I really didn't like that, and I think I struggled with with that a lot. And, you know, so often, like even, again, the level of language, sexuality, is the shorthand for passion. So it was like, am I not a passionate person? Can I not be interesting because of this? Um, you know, I have many friends and many interests and I have hobbies, you know, does none of that matter because of this one thing that, you know, one way which it happened to be different for most people. So I think right. that was... So true. Um, A big source of pressure for me, and in terms of how I worked through it, um, I think the answer is that I just met ace people who I thought were very interesting and fun, and so just seeing that reflected was very important. You know, I think it sounds very simple, like you know, representation matters, but it really did because when I didn't know ace people, I was like, oh, okay, like who who cares if I'm ace if it doesn't do anything for me in a sense. You know? Right And then once you meet other people and then you get like, maybe like it helped explain who I was, but then you meet other people who are aces. And of course there's many different types of ace people. Um, and then you can see, Oh, my fears, about what it meant to be ace, which are tied to who I am and my personal weaknesses. They're not true for others. So they don't have to be true for me.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to ask you, we're almost done. I just want to ask you a few questions about like your publishing process. So, so did you, were you approached or did you send, you know, I don't really know how it works, but like send, you know, a company or a, whoever, you know, a, the idea of, I want to write this book about ACE, about, um, about ACEs.
1: So what happened is that I had the person who's now my agent reach out in January or so of 2017. And he'd seen my work, um, my journalism and some of the essays I was writing. And he liked it. And he asked if I was working on a book proposal. And I had started a book proposal about asexuality about two years before when I started freelancing. Mm -hmm. And then I promptly ignored it because I needed to pay the bills and not be working on this theoretical book proposal. But then when he asked, I said, well, I have this thing that I abandoned but I could take it out again and so he liked the idea and we're kind of together and then he essentially went and you know uh, put it on submission to various editors and publishing houses and Mm -hmm. so the book sold on proposal in October of 2017 and so then I spent like the next year or so writing it Nights and weekends, which is a mistake I will not make again. <laughs> but yeah, that's essentially how it happened. <laughs> well, because it was just a lot, you know, doing all
0: your stuff during the day and then at, and then at night and the weekends having to do this, the book.
1: It, it was a ton. And I always say this because I think in most industries, labor standards are not very good. But mm-hmm. in the journalism industry, there um, there is a norm of a sort that when you get a book deal, you can get book leaves, so you can get, you know, um, I don't know, 12 weeks, a month for some people who are very lucky, they get like a year, basically sabbatical sabbatical, time off to write the book when you're not doing your daily stuff. And the truth is, I was afraid to ask for a book leave because nobody else in my company had sold a book then. And I was just afraid that they were going to deny me. So I said, I didn't need book leave. But it was a huge mistake because, you know, my day job, which was demanding, was writing. And then my night job was also writing. And it was just very tiring. But I think yeah. what I what I always think about is that later people in my company did start to get, um, you know, to start to sell books, which I was very happy for. And I think they had more confidence than me and they got like six months off. And so it's always like, okay, you should have, you should have asked. And there's so many studies about how women, especially women of color, you know, sell themselves short. Like you can never do this again. Next time you ask for a lot of time off.
0: Right. Right. How, how has, I didn't know about the, the book leave thing. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but that's, partic- that's specifically more in like the writing industry.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's mostly like journalism industry, like if you're, if you're in a newsroom. Mm, which is you are. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? So what, how, how has the feedback
0: been with the book? Are you relieved that it's published, it's out, you're just letting it go? Like, how has that experience been? Because this is a pretty big mix of like your personal professional life. And, and, um, it sounds like, you know, from what you've said, you're pretty private. So that must've been for me. I know, I mean, I was terrified. I, I mean, every time I release an episode, I'm terrified and like, I'm still scared to like share my writing, but, but so how was that experience? Like, you know, releasing this book and just letting it go
1: i'm really relieved in some ways i feel really ambivalent about the book and i think that's not because i think it's a terrible book but again i just have the personality where yeah everything i do embarrasses me so i'm always like you know every time a friend's like oh i'm reading a book now i'm like oh great you know You're like uh, anyway yeah yeah like let's talk about something else but you know i think the reception has been good and i'm happy that you know i've received so many emails from from people about it and I think it's also just taught me how subjective people's taste is which of course I knew but it's another thing when people are talking about um, something that you wrote because so many people write me and they'll be like oh I think the writing's really clear and I really like the memoir parts and the other people will be like I liked it except I hated the parts we talked about yourself because I thought that <laughs> really boring um, so it, I mean it's just interesting because I'm someone who I think is fairly sensitive and I think that this experience has just taught me that like it's really taught me in an emotional level that sometimes you don't need to take people's feedback like I'm Mm -hmm. the kind of person who's like give me criticism so I can improve but now I'm like you know some things are objectively like my weaknesses and some things are my strengths and some things people just not gonna like and I don't need to cater to them
0: totally yeah I can imagine I mean I I completely relate and can imagine. Where can, so anything else you want to say, any final closing remarks?
1: No, I don't think so. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Where can
0: people, you know, A, learn more about you and your book and then B, any, any ACE resources, um, that you would recommend?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, my website, which is angela.chen.org, because angela.chen.com was too expensive. I was gonna say <laughs> wow.org. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. It was purely a financial decision, and also my Twitter. <laughs> um, my Twitter handle is at chenjola. Obviously, I can mix my first and last names. Um, In terms of ace resources, obviously the Asexuality, Visibility, and Education website, even, And I also really like this blog called The Asexual Agenda, which is a group blog. And I think if you're trying to dive into ace world, ace internet, it's a great place to start. And there are podcasts that are ace podcasts. So there's one called Sounds Fake But Okay. And there's one (laughs) called A-OK. And they're both great. So I
0: recommend that's amazing. Thank you so much, Angela. Um, I really, really appreciate As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you're enjoying it, please share with one person. It helps a lot. If you would like me to cover a topic that you can speak to or you want to learn more about or have something that you want to say regarding the podcast or an identity that you want to talk about... Please email me, psychandthecitybk at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. You can find Angela, author of Ace, What Asexuality Ase Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex at AngelaChen.org, as well as where you can purchase their book, all on their website, AngelaChen.org. And you can find me on Instagram, psychandthecitybk. And thank you for listening.